Yeah, because you're monitoring your infrastructure, right? Right. 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 Welcome back to another episode of the Refactor Podcast, the show where we try and help ourselves, our businesses, and you suck a little less each day. My name is Frank Cole. And my name is Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 054, recorded on January 18th, 2022. Yeah, so we were we were doing the thing where we started the show before we started the show, and we just got to hit the record button and just capture yeah. the banter. So... Um, you were right. We, we have been a little, a little businessy heavy lately. Uh, it's kind of hard not to given how much, you know, the tech is the business and the business is the tech, but, um, you're right. It's been kind of soft and mushy. So I have some interesting stuff that has come up in, you know, bubbled to the surface for me and, you know, from some random places. Um, but I do think we should throw a little tech in there. So why don't we start with your tech? The tech is a cautionary tale. Uh, of performance issues on .NET applications. Oh, that is, um, that is techie. Okay, let's go. So that so that the TLDR here is um, right. It, you're if you're writing modern web applications, you're writing uh, single page applications against uh, API backends, right? Kind of decoupled right. Uh, systems, and you're probably using something called AJAX. No, I'm not going to start back there. Uh, you're probably using. Um, oh man. One of like the one of like the meta API standards, uh, JSON API is really popular, and it's mm-hmm. simply a format. Okay, if you're going to do JSON over REST, here's how. Here's a standard for representing uh, both entities and attributes, as well as relationships. Importantly, um, and of course, handling things like like pagination and so forth, so that we have a contract that both backend and front end libraries can target. And so, if everybody says we're JSON API compatible, uh, which like let's say React and Angular and Vue all have JSON API compatibility, either natively or, or with with add-ins. And if the backend API says it's JSON API compatible, well, we like libraries and frameworks because then we don't have to do as much work. And .NET, .NET Core uh, entity framework is JSON API compatible. And so you think, great, this is a match made in heaven. I have my data repositories defined in my .NET application, and I have Entity Framework configured on top of those repositories and entities so that uh, I don't have to write any manual database calls and all of that stuff is, you know, I can use uh, use Link or, or just Entity Framework chaining to, to access my data. And it's great. Then we have this magical JSON API thing. So I can say at the end of the day, like my front-end application needs a list of widgets and it makes a JSON API request and, and that just... JSON API knows how to talk to EF to get that from the database. Uh, you've 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 got a nice modern application stack. What could go wrong? Oh oh oh, so much, so very very much. But we're going to talk about one of the ways it's going to go wrong. I, I suspect <laughs> what what can go wrong, um, and it's really it's it's interesting, but it really doesn't take a lot of setup. What can go wrong is that uh, JSON API the the NuGet package there, there is a default configuration wherein because you have Entity Framework and, and Entity Mapper, because you have Entity Framework and JSON API, JSON API has everything it needs to be able to respond to API requests. So you don't have to explicitly create a controller with an action to get or, you know, to specifically talking about gets for a minute. Mm-hmm. You don't have to specifically create a dedicated get endpoint to serve a front-end SPA request because JSON API is a standard that describes how you're going to ask for information and how you want it back. And JSON API already knows about Entity Framework and that knows about your database. So what can happen if your front-end team and your back-end team are not in sync? And let's say your front-end SPA team starts writing requests to endpoints that your backend team didn't anticipate, what happens is nothing. It still works because JSON API says, hey, I kind of know the structure of your database from Entity Framework. I'll go fetch that data for you, which may be okay. But if you say something like, hey, get me all widgets where color is blue, 
if everything's not wired up right and it's it's out of the box, it's not, what will happen is JSON API will work with Entity Framework to fetch the data from the database, but it won't be able to properly translate your parameters. So what gets run against the database, because Entity Framework doesn't know any better, Entity Framework gets asked, oh, just grab all widgets. JSON API, I'm, I'm JSON API in this example, mm-hmm. just go grab all widgets and I will do the sorting and filtering the user requested in memory. Mm-hmm. So you can wind Uh-oh. up with a bunch of huge, multiply joined uh, but unfiltered queries Massive. hitting your database. Yep. And that's going to cause problems, right? Because, and for anybody that hasn't dealt with unfiltered queries in a production database before, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. First of all, you're going to get complaints, pardon me, from your end users that things are, things are, there's general slowness. Slow. Things are sluggish. It's slow. It's slow. <laughs> right? What's slow? It. What does slow mean? Slow. Everything. You know? What uh, is slow? Everything. Right? The site. What you're going to see, you're going to see, oh, holy moly, my application servers, right? We're .NET, so we're probably IIS boxes. My application servers seem to be using a lot of CPU and, and a lot of memory. And if you look deeper, you're going to notice there are bursts of high network throughput. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at your database, you may or may not see anything wrong there, but the high memory, CPU, and network, and disk. That's your that's your indicator if you're using JSON API and, and EF with SQL Server. That's your indicator on the IIS box that you may have unfiltered queries because what's going to happen, JSON API is going to tell EF to get the whole, just give me the whole database, mm-hmm. All right? So first of all, you're going to get a lot of network, like your, whatever... Whatever pipes you have between your app and your database, you're going to saturate it. If you're trying to pull like a three terabyte table across the wire, you're going to saturate the network. As that, as those records come in, Entity Framework is going to want to hydrate them into system objects, which takes a lot of compute and memory. And by the way, once you kind of start pegging your memory, you're going to put thrashing pressure on your caches and you're going to see your disk IOPS skyrocket as things are paged in and out of memory mm-hmm. to keep them in memory to do all the things and the whole the whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down. Um, I haven't seen this anywhere recently, so I, you know this is all kind of <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> this is all very hypothetical. I'm just saying what what might happen purely if, if somebody had done this. Purely yeah. academic. All right, so I want to. Wow. Okay, so this sounds like fun. So there, there's a couple interesting things in here. The magic that you're describing reminds me a lot of what Rails does in the in the Ruby ecosystem. Um, and for listeners who are not aware, m- most of my most of my deepest uh, app development was in in the Ruby land, and I, I love I love to Rubies. Uh, I also apologize to our listeners for having to listen to this Microsoft garbage. Um, but you know, you, ta- oh, you take these here comes the hate. You t- you take these interesting stories where they come from. It's just it's a shame it has to come from such a god awful platform. Anyway, I I well before you go on, I just want to say for the record, mm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, Microsoft the, sucks. The, the the magic that you're describing there, where okay, any JSON API is a standard. The front end system understands JSON API. The back end system understands JSON API, and so by utilizing JSON API, right, the, just the, makes the JSON. Right, the back end, uh, so like like a like a .NET app will understand JSON API if you use the JSON API .NET, you know, right. uh, I'm, uh, I'm, NuGet I'm, library. Yes, right. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm sidestepping the yeah. fact that it's a package versus native to the lot to the to the framework. Yep. That's kind of a yep. implementation. But, but JSON, in this case, in this case, it's important though because JSON API the standard is different than JC, JSON API .NET, which is like the implementation of that on the back end. Right. That's the only reason I'm gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But by utilizing that and by connecting these two things, we have an assumption that we're that each end has an assumption that we're going to be talking in JSON API standards, which allows them to short circuit some of the legwork, like you said, with controllers. So you don't have to set up a controller because, yeah. oh, you're following the standard. I don't need you to explicitly define this controller because you're just going to do boilerplate code. It's all standard. That's because yep. it's all yep. standards. It's all going to match, which is nice, but very, very dangerous. You have to, you, Unfortunately, utilizing magic is not an excuse for 
lack of understanding of the magic. In fact, it, in, in some ways, I feel like it makes a developer's job harder because in order to do their do right by their application, you got to understand all the wizardry that's happening underneath the surface and under the hood so that you don't get burned by this. this oh, kind man, of stuff. you could go. It's, you could literally wind up scraping sand off of a beach if you follow that trail logic. I agree with you, but you know, understand the magic before you use the magic. That's a that's a charge. Well, and I'm, I'm with you, but that's a charge. <laughs> okay, so let me let me clarify that a little bit because you're right. In, in a very, I don't want to climb too high in the ivory tower on this one. And you're right. You go far enough down this rabbit hole, and eventually you're you're farming your own silicon for your own chips. So you know you got to be. You're right. Um, as you're learning frameworks and as you're learning libraries, you, you're not going to know all the magic under the hood and you're going to be, you know, you're going to start with a baseline and you're, you're going to be working under the assumptions. You're going to be following the how-to guides, the documentation. You're going to do the basic boilerplate stuff, which will keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you safe. As you start to get more fancy, the magic really comes into play much more directly and you can run into squirrely edge cases like what you're describing here. And though at that point, you need to start learning the intricacies that you're touching. Maybe not necessarily all the magic all at once, but okay, I'm broadening my knowledge in this one sphere, in this one area. Well, it's not even, I, I don't even think it's more. like, a, it's like, I don't even think it's, it's getting bit by advanced magic. It's just realizing that JSONAPI.net will serve requests that you didn't specifically create controllers to handle yeah, but you yourself that's, and so and this this is magic. knowing so you knowing that yeah exactly that's what i'm that's what right. you're getting at so you didn't you may not you have started using this is a perfect example of what i'm talking about you started using this library super handy json api standards baked right it, it i've got it basically factored into my back-end mm -hmm. application now awesome what you didn't realize was that by doing so it will basically handle requests for fictitious in a, in a certain sense, fictitious controllers, mm -hmm. your, your development team didn't create them. So they don't technically exist. Nope. They're just following the JSON API well, standards. It, like that's, a and it can be even something as simple as like, yeah. And it can be even simple as well. Well, the, the front end, you know, and, and you can see how it happens though, right? Oh, Cause totally with a large enough team yeah. Oh, yeah. where, where front and back end are separate teams as they are in a lot of organizations, you think, well, all of our problems are solved just by agreeing to the contract in the middle right? Which is the beauty of contract-driven development, yeah. right? They say, here's our interface and we both develop to that and everything's going to be fine. Standards and assumptions are um, great. They, they make things go faster. Right. They really do. Right. And then and then somebody's thinking meters and somebody's thinking feet and you crash a multi-hundred million dollar robot into another planet's surface, right? Like that's seriously how this stuff happens <laughs> yep. when all you care about is just the contract, right? This is mm -hmm. the thing we're targeting. You take that as gospel and you never think with a little bit of a broader context. So at the front end team, the front end team says, oh, we need other data. We'll write, uh, you know, we, we got our requirements. We said, this is the format. These are the standards we're going to use. And here are all the endpoints we're going to need. And then at some point in the iteration, a new endpoint is required and the front end team writes it up and, hey, look at that. It works and everything's beautiful. They don't realize that they just destroyed the API's performance, right? And and it takes a little bit of figuring out. And I have seen, I, dude, I am like, uh, I, you know that meme with all, I think they're like North Korean generals with like just the, the billboards yes. worth of yeah, medals on there. Yeah, they're just completely there. covered in you know medals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I... If I had a medal for every unfiltered query, not just with .NET and JSON API, but like across open source and, and Microsoft and Java and ever like if I had a medal for every unfiltered query that I have identified and helped remediate in the last year, I would put those bad boys to shame. Like, <laughs> and it's it, but it's so painful to see it happen because like I know exactly what's going. On. And then the question comes in: Okay, well. We're not going to be able to, you know, we're not going to be able to issue like a proper, like the fix for this is for the backend team to actually create an endpoint dedicated to that request so that it can do the right thing because it actually knows what it's got to do. Right. So it can send an optimized query, right? That's, let's say that takes a couple of days, but your production site is nerfed. Okay. So then the question comes, what's our workaround? Uh, Work faster. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, I, you're. You, you've like, identified the problem. I didn't have a good one. Yeah. Like, I didn't have a good one. Like, the only thing I could think you'd possibly do is say, okay, make a rule that every table you access in the database is actually a view 
and by default, they just mirror the underlying, but that in case you need to make a real-time change without deploying your code, you could make a database modification to change the view to do a different thing. That, minute, I mean, that's like, you're, prob- you're giving me like, you're giving me sus eyes and appropriately so, but, but I'm just thinking technically not, not, Keep going. not what, sh- not what should you do, but what could possibly be done short of an application redeployment to help mitigate this one. And it's like, uh, redirect everything with database views or increase your IIS timeouts so that you don't get like, so that the process doesn't, the worker doesn't get killed waiting for the result. Like, I don't know that like, there's not a quick, the work, easy okay, thing. All right. There. So you're talking about the workaround. You're not talking about preventing. I wasn't sure where you were going for a second. If you were talking about solving this specific instance of it or how you might add a safety net to all undocumented JSON API so, back yeah. requests. I wasn't sure which way you were going there. The specific instance or the problem more broadly. You you answered the question. So both. you were going so, for this, yeah, in both, but specific in the in immediate. Instance. In the immediate. Yeah, yeah. In the immediate, you're going to be asked, how do we make a workaround for this? And right. other than increase like I said, database redirection with some kind of a view, um, which by the way is going to potentially break other parts of your application because right. you don't know who else is calling this endpoint and needs whatever other ver- view of the data. Um, but to keep the rest of your site online, you know, break some other unknown function to keep your the rest of your whole site online, that could be a bargain in I a mean, pinch. Yeah, my, I mean, outside looking in on this completely hypothetical scenario, of course, totally. My, my, my gut reaction is throw horsepower at it in the short term. Just jack. Assuming we're in a situation where you have the flexibility to scale up appropriately, right. I would just, I would push the I would push the performance through the stratosphere of your uh, of your database and your 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 memory space on the database and then your net your your network bandwidth. well the database the database doesn't get incredibly strained I mean there's maybe some network contention depending on link speed but the database just says oh it's a table scan I'll I'll throw the whole table over the wire it's it's the app server that really gets killed okay here. so then the app server then the, the, I mean wherever your yeah. bottleneck is you know, you can't do anything about the client side. The, you know, that's, that's. Yeah, you could, being you pr- could try throwing just a, just a buttload of CPU you could just, memory at yeah, the Yeah, you could server. just throw it and that would be the temporary bandaid. And it, I mean, you'd be bleeding. Yeah. You'd still be bleeding, but you kind of have this bandage over the, like, yes, you're bleeding, yeah. but your broken arm is not hanging off anymore. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're right. You, yeah. You stapled it back on. You sort of stapled it back on. And, <laughs> is that know, like when you, is that like triage. when you put your thumb in like a baggie of milk or, or no, a tooth in like a, like milk it was the old, uh, the old wives tale to keep your broken things safe oh, until you yes. got to the hospital. Right. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, less wives tale even than that problem, you know, more, more, more actual science here but yes I mean, that's that's kind of the yeah. idea but i would throw a ton of horsepower at it and then just work like mad to get this problem yeah. rectified um this also it comes back to um i hmm, i like magic i like having the availability of magic i like it when i have to opt in a lot of times this to me because mm-hmm. you mentioned that this was a config flag and this to me feels like a config flag that ought to default to off that you then opt into or work on a blacklist or a whitelist kind of basis where okay, I don't. So I don't, I don't, I don't go quite that deep into it. I don't know if it's, no? if it's a f- config flag so much as just, this is the functionality of the library and maybe, oh, okay. maybe the root cause is like something needs to be then. wired up better in like the mapper or something. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know exactly like where, because there may be there may be an answer to the left of creating a dedicated endpoint. The answer may be deeper than that, and say no. When you hit it with this filter, you need to teach the the EF mapper how to handle that filter. Right. In a, like I don't know. There could be other methods there that just oh create a proper endpoint because like they're all standard things you you ought to like the whole point is not to have to make a bunch of endpoints manually that's that's what it gives you so right. i think there's some deeper level thing but like out of the box it'll just let you do yeah, this yeah but see and, yeah, yeah, okay so a couple you're right and and that is that is one of the nice things but you, you open you, there are some risks associated with it. one is performance the other one that jumped right at me and what i thought you were going to talk about was security because if i've got all these endpoints and you know the back end 
talks to the front end, makes certain assumptions, and the database is the database. It's all just kind of sitting there. What's to stop, you know, junior React dev uh, Bobby from coming in and making a request? Hey, uh, give me all the users and uh, all their contact information. I'll handle it from there. Right. And then the and then because the the assumptions well, no, are all there, the, dutifully just the- kind of dumps all that data out there. That's a, I mean. Forget, right. forget do you, Bobby's do you have ability to handle. For, yeah. Forget Bobby's ability to handle and display that data at that point. The data has already gone across the wire. He has already yeah. effed it up. So you know, yeah. like well, that's that's kind of the point, though, is that Bobby says, "Hey, give me user ID equals one." JSON API tells Entity Framework, "Get me all users." And then right. I'll filter it down to user equals one. So, so in this scenario, right, you're actually not sending the other users over the wire. They're they're moving from the right. database to the app server, but then getting filtered in memory to go to service the client request. So, in in this case, in in this case, that that isn't true. But it kind of makes it kind of makes you wonder: like, is there a possibility that you could simply ask JSON API through a contrived, uh-huh. you know? dynamic endpoint give me everything give me like, everything that's exactly that? what i'm talking about yeah. and the other thing yeah. that jumped out at me about this was the that the the way that this json api communication happened was there was um hand you know the front end says hand me a boatload of data and i'll filter it instead of hand me this filtered data you know with the filters now i know that yeah well I, that can be that can be a failure mode of an spa as well the that's spa a huge failure. the back end and i've I've dealt with those before too. And so I, oh my God, I have seen the full pyramid. You know what I'm talking about? We're like, I'm going to render a label on the website. Uh-huh. Like I'm going to render a name, mm-hmm. like a widget name. And so, <laughs> but, but the front end, I know the front end, <laughs> right. The front <laughs> end is, one. is asking, I'm going to render one widget name uh, on your profile. Like the last widget that you bought is going to show up automatically. So I'm going to, I'm going to render a widget. Well, what the front end is going to ask for is all of the widgets you've ever bought so that it can pull the first one and get mm-hmm. just its name. But what the front end, when it wants all of the widgets you've ever bought, what it's going to ask the back end for is all of the widgets ever bought. Mm-hmm. And what the back end is going to ask the database for is just all widgets joined with everything widgets joined to. And mm-hmm. so you get this full on pyramid mm-hmm. of just suckage all the way down to the, complete, the metal. And everything is complete, lazy, actually, unoptimized garbage. Yeah. I have actually seen that where at every level, oh, I have too. we're asking for way more than we need. And it's it's hilarious if you're not the one responsible for it. You should <laughs> like always, If it's not your rear end right. on the hook to fix it and get Ugh. it right next time and look for all the other cases where we may be doing this, it's hilarious. Otherwise, you know, that's kind of a day wrecker. <laughs> Week. Month wrecker, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Weekend, weekend wrecker. If you're an idiot and you deploy uh, on Fridays. Uh, don't deploy Fridays. <laughs> or if you find the button Tuesday, on Friday. <laughs> my my preference is Tuesday and Wednesday mornings. Yeah. That's when I like to deploy. Because uh, I mean, then you've got because if you deploy in the afternoon or evening, you're gonna wreck a night eventually. If you deploy on a Friday, you're gonna wreck a weekend. And you don't want to deploy on Monday because you're like not completely unfogged yet. So Mm-hmm. I like I like Tuesday mornings personally. That's a, I mean that's a that's a good I, I take it a step further. I like to deploy on Tuesday mornings, and uh, I also disable uh, bug submission reporting on Fridays after about noon. I just turn it off. It's just, <laughs> just not allowed. It's just just, for just can't do it. You you can hold that bug until Monday. Deal with it. <laughs> for just send them a four. What is it? Four fifteen. I think is uh is on the teapot. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say is that the. <laughs> Is that the nonsense one? Which one is is four fifteen? Yeah, the silly? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me. Yeah, it's uh, it was an April Fool's joke by EIETF like a billion years ago, and now it's uh, in there. It's canon. No, four fifteen is unsupported media type. No, all right. It, I'll, I'll look for this because yeah, there's a, there's a jo- there's a Joker one in there that actually some applications yeah. have started utilizing for. Oh, actual- it's it's. It's 418. 418? 418, what, not, not 418. What, what is the official code on the 418? What is it called again? I'm a teapot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- this, is, this is really interesting uh, and, and very common. And it just, be careful with your magic. Uh, 
Honestly, I'm also going to drop a little plug in here, hotwire.dev. Go ahead and check that out because if uh, you don't have a front-end app that's doing data uh, map reducing to mimic essentially what your back-end is doing, this whole problem goes away. If you only do it one place in one one time in one place, then not a big deal. So check that out, hotwire.dev. I know we've talked about it. We don't need to go yeah. into it now. Um, but eliminate yeah, I would say single-page app without having to write your application twice. Yes, please. Yeah. And I think the 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 cautionary, like the the takeaway there is not even just specific with uh, you know, Angular and and uh JSONAPI.net. The takeaway there is yeah, when you're using magic RTFM, obviously. You got RTFM. Um, yep. And and I think as these applications, like I don't think it's a bad idea to simply hook all of your data access um tooling all of your mm -hmm. data access libraries frameworks mechanisms and just set a threshold to log whenever it gets more than x amount of records back from its source right yeah. so set some sane limits so hook hook entity framework or hook uh active record in rails or hook you know uh whatever it is um hook those and say look whenever you get back more than five thousand records just you know pull a number out for your situation, whenever you get back more than 5,000 rows from anything from a database, log the query, the timestamp, the number of results, right? And just throw those in a log, throw those up as an error mm -hmm. um, at your at your um, entity manager level, at your SPA data layer, like throw a couple of those in and just watch them because like there are developer land tools that will help you catch unfiltered queries and N plus ones and stuff like that. Um, but the stuff's going to get through, right? Yeah. Even if you're really diligent, like mistakes happen. Um, and so when you have a performance issue and nobody can explain why, you want to look at these uh, look at these logs and see if they correlate. I mean, optimally, you'd be looking at them all the time and fixing things as you see them pop up and, and you know, recalibrating your thresholds. But um, yeah, be careful with magic and, and log some stuff. And I think that's- uh, Actually, help. That that all helps. Uh, there's another thing that I liked. It you and I have talked about this before, and that's called um, flailing. We 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 haven't. I don't think we've talked about this on the show yet. Flailing out. Oh yeah, flailing yeah. out. So as a so what you want um, you want to flagrantly fail out. You want errors to just blow up. You want the whole app to just go. Now. What, now, what do I mean by that? A little bit of nuance. One, of course, you want your production app to continue to run. You don't want to show disgusting errors to your end users. Okay, fine. Right. In your development, your QA, staging environments, anywhere that a dev is hitting your actual database or a replica of your database on something that is not quite ready for prime time yet, like, for example, you know, development of these, of these uh, single-page app endpoints, you know, if think think about what might have happened here if instead of um, returning the result, you know, we actually had you. So your five thousand limit, okay? We'll we we'll use that example because yeah, I think that really just works. Okay, so five thousand, five thousand seems pretty reasonable. I, in fact, it's probably more than reasonable. I, I I have a hard time thinking of many situations where I want to return that many results of anything. To a for any end. purpose, right? Any Outs purpose. Outside of a reporting right. system, but that's not in your LLTP. That's on a reporting system. I'm not side, saying right? it wouldn't so happen. For that. Right. I'm not saying it wouldn't yeah. happen, but it would be the exception to yeah. the norm. Okay. So mm -hmm. you so you mm -hmm. I would want to, if you're gonna go over five thousand or three thousand, whatever, I, I'm not I'm gonna log it in production. Yeah, I'm gonna be all that graceful stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about. Outside of that, I'm not gonna log that. I'm going to shut you down. You're not getting squat. Your thing is going to break. Now, why do I want to do that? I want to do that because I have a very real sane reason to do so. And I don't want you to depend on that kind of behavior. So when you're developing a thing that runs into one of these red line limits, I want you to hit the wall loud and obvious and early so that you can then go to the appropriate people on the team and say, hey, I'm building this thing and I'm getting this error do you know why this is happening? And of course, the person who put it in place or the team that's responsible for it can say, ah, okay, you did this. You're returning 5,000 records. That's no good. You need to get your request down. So let's focus in. Let's try and you know narrow your, your request list. And now- Yeah, I mean, I think boom, you're just talking about failing fast, which I agree with. No, yeah, fail fast, it, it, right? Yeah, well, but in this case, fast is a, it's not- 
I, I well, see in this case, a- though, but hang on a second, because in this case, like that specific recommendation wouldn't help my specific hypothesized scenario. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is, you know, if I've got 5 million rows in a database and I'm asking for all of them mm-hmm. so that I can give three to the front end, mm-hmm. the front end is not getting over 5,000, right? The back end is. But in order to get the five, in order to get the five million records, I already had to get them. So mm-hmm. the API server was already demolished. Like mm-hmm. it, unless, I don't, I don't know, maybe unless like, you can okay, get so, it. No, I think, I think, I, I, think I don't my, know how you would get that ahead of time. I think the, the, the important w- nugget there is um, when it happens, when something like that happens, make it really loud. I don't know if yeah. there's a way to stop that from happening a priori. Cause like, you don't know how many you got until you got them. The app server doesn't know how many it's going to get until it gets them all. And it's already too late. But right. when that happens, throw a fatal error into your APM, right. like, dump stuff into your log file, like do something. I mean, first of all, in the first place, you should know this before your users say it's slow because you'd have system monitoring set up that says like, hey, little alarm bells, you got an API server that's 95% CPU and 98% memory and IOPS are on the rise and there's anomalous network load. Like your infrastructure monitoring should clue you into this before users- Yeah, because you're monitoring your infrastructure, right? Right, 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 right. Um, <sighs> but yeah, I think I think fail fast is good when you can do it, uh, and otherwise, just be super, super loud about it on the back end, so that you know you have a problem to deal with. Yeah, see, I I I, I see fail fast. I don't want to go too philosophical here, but I see fail fast and flailing, as we've talked about it, as two very different things. To me, you know, making the app. It, for what I'm talking about is, is more in line with what you're talking about things being loud, but like, you know, I, I don't want the thing. I don't want the thing to uh, outside of a client facing scenario. Okay. I don't want the thing to error out gracefully. I want it to blow up. And so, you know, this, this goes to um, you can think about this in terms of exception handling. Okay. I've done things with, with exception handling where, okay, if I'm in prod, I'm going to use this exception chain, okay? If this, catch this one and do, and do this stuff. But if I'm in any other environment other than production, that exception chain goes away and you get big, loud, 500 internal server error type stuff. Like it just blows up. I want it to do that because we are going to the, you're, you're getting to the root of the problem. It's happening very loud and it's happening with immediacy. It's not being obscured with your exception handling with, um, you know, any kind of recovery or Wait, self-healing. I don't understand. And- I, I, well, let's fight about this. What do you uh, mean? Okay. Why, why are right, you? Obs- hold on. There you go. Why is exception handling obscuring anything? I'm not suggesting. I got to fight you on that. No, no, no. You're not. Okay. okay. I'm not suggesting that. Like, what do you, I, I, you're, be tactical here because you're saying be loud. Like, mm-hmm. give me a concrete example of a failure mode and then give mm-hmm. me a concrete example of how your system would respond in that failure mode mm-hmm. that that qualifies as, as you're flailing. Okay. All right. So, it real uh, simple somewhat contrived, but highly realistic here. Okay. So I have an application that's doing some stuff. It's, it's a, you know, it's a business app. You're making a request to do some logic, you know, gather some data, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it processes that data and then it hands it, it hands it back. Okay. Now I have an exception chain. Now, I, before I get started on this, I, 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 I want to point out, like I'm using exception handling because it's a very common structure. We use it for everything. And it's just really easy to illustrate this. I'm not saying that exception handling is the place for this necessarily all the time, but it's just a good, it's just a good workaround. So, so got this app and it's doing this thing. It's doing its thing. And it hands, it hands data, it hands data back. Now uh, I have a series of exceptions, you know, prior inside of this controller or inside of this model prior to handing things back to handle different situations. You know, the, um, you know, the, 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 the database, you know, didn't connect and I pulled, you know, and so then I do an exception handling. So instead of pulling from the database, I have a backstop where, okay, well, uh, the database died, but I want to make sure that the user has a pleasant experience. So I'm going to, you know, backstop to um, a, a cache, you know, like last request. Is there, you know, is there a chance that I can save this request by going to the cache and pulling a recent, 
map, you know, similar query or something like that. And, oh, look at that. I've got something and I can sort of hand it back. Okay. Now I have, the user has had a pleasant experience, which is great. Um, but, you know, the database errored out. And I mean, I don't, I don't want that to be the case. Now, if I'm in development, okay, this is suboptimal. I want to know that the database died in development. When anything breaks in development, I want to know about it. Okay. So it's right. It's, so instead of it handling this error in a graceful fashion, in a development QA staging environment, this is particularly true inside QA, things beyond the developer themselves, you know, uh, but before the customer. So your, your, your user acceptance testing UAT or your QA people, your quality assurance. Um, you know, I don't want that graceful stuff to happen. I really do want it to blow up because I want that to happen. Uh, I, I want them to hit the wall immediately so that we know exactly where the problem occurred. I pushed this button and then I got this error message and it's very easy to back to backtrace it. The less recovery and graceful handling that I have to sift through the faster. Well, but I can hang on a second. That. Let me, let me short. So I, I think I see where you're going. Let me short okay. circuit this. First all of right. all, uh, you should have graceful, graceful error handling in production in non-prod. You just barf the stack trace like a normal adult human. So right. I don't know that's how much more you loud be. you can get than that. Right. Well, There's, I'm, su I'm suggesting the, not the error handling. I'm suggesting not everyone does that. I like, you know, like if you, depending okay, on then how, they're wrong. Like well, that's right. it. Like you, I, you I know <laughs> in, in non-prod you barf stack traces because they're diagnostically useful. Right. And in production, you have like a custom 400, a custom 500 with a, a cute little cartoon right. uh, on it. Right. And you that's, have to be, yeah. So that's got standard gotta operating. That's right. This is a, and, and this is a, I mean, I'm, I'm going for a, a simplistic example here. To illustrate, but, but your example's more flawed than that because even in your example, you're saying, "Well, if there's a cache, well, no, if there's a cache, I would have hit that before the database in the first place. If there was a valid cache entry, I wouldn't have even tried the database." Well, okay, I'm, I'm pulling this off the top of my head. I should stop doing this with you because I forget how good you actually are at this. You know, you pretend, but you're actually not too bad. So let's okay. So I will revise my hypothetical right. scenario. Okay? So I think, so like, I is it is it different? So so let I me, hit the cache. Is, is it? I hit the what just, you're just, arguing just, no, no, for on, is no, no. just. I, I want this to be legitimate. I want this to be legitimate, okay? <laughs> so I hit the cache. The cache was expired. All right, it still existed, but it was too old. So I hit the database. The database was dead. Well, I went, oh crap. Well, I better give them. I'd rather give them something that's slightly old as opposed to nothing at all. So I'm going to go get that expired data, and I'm going to use that instead. Okay? Does that work for you now? Are we in line? You big dork. <laughs> I don't. Um, all right. So let's let's put aside that that's what your business wants you to do is I'd rather feed you slightly old data than show you that I mean, define we messed old. something up. We let's just be, take, we could be talking minutes. Let's, as, you right. know. Well, I mean, it's, it's invalid or it's not right. And cache invalidation is one of the two hardest things in computer science, right? After naming stuff, right? Well, uh, like it's that's, one of the, the, so that and off by one errors, right? Yeah. You got, you got to remember that, that off third by one, one the off by one errors. Yep. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. the two things yeah yeah the, the, um, the two the two things we are the two we, hardest things that's right we are so, just we, we are we are so damn funny so let's assume that's the right thing then in any kind of like in production you would want to go back to a stale cache entry don't and read non-production like you I don't know. I think your your argument boils down to. Let me flip this argument on its head. Okay. Okay. Because what you're sure. saying is, oh, outside of production, you shouldn't try to hide failure. Flip that. No, only in production should you try to fail gracefully. Okay. Yeah, that would that would work. You, flip. So like, so yeah. don't do anything. Whitelist here. Yeah, I, I see what you're doing. But but yeah. when you're in production, have like a pretty you know cartoon mm -hmm. meme 400 mm -hmm. and 500 default page yeah but only right. production then, only production right yeah right and what i yeah. what i think a lot of people do similar similar to your completely hypothetical you know front page app with the you know the lazy request oh just give me everything and then i'll you know i'll sift it I, asking there. for a friend right. asking for a friend right of course yeah yeah that friend man he is just worthless um <laughs> this guy's messing stuff up all the time oh. dude <laughs> 
And so, but it's still logic you have to write. You still have to do, you know, the graceful, elegant yeah. stuff for the customer. And what I think there's a tendency, okay, I'm going to put this in place and I'm done. You know, oh, development flags. Nah, I'll worry about that if I go back to development. I am not going to touch this code for a couple, you know, I'm not going to touch this code for at least a couple sprints. So we could just stay in there, whatever. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's a, when, I mean, ugh. when things break, everybody should know other than the customer as quickly and as loudly as possible. Take that is the core nugget. I don't want to go yeah. too much further down this rabbit hole. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. the errors need to be loud and obvious. And if you can make, especially for a situation like a single page app, um, you really, you really want that where you've got two disparate teams sort well, of hand so let me, ponging. So let you me really want to, want yeah, to let's, smack the wall when they run into a rule that the other one has. You really so, want that. To so let's, yeah. So, so we can close this one off. Uh, instrument, your instrument, your data layers and set a threshold where you get alerted yep. if you return more than your threshold of rows and, mm -hmm. and noting that in a modern application, you may have two or three separate data layers, right? For each of yeah. your components in the stack. Yeah. Um, so, and so then the two second three different thresholds is, for each of those. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And where in production only you log the error, you notify the APM page or duty, whatever, you know, whatever your process whatever is for doing. incident response, mm -hmm. you, you notify that in production else you barf a stack trace you barf a stack right then trace. and there yes. and then yes right and so and so that's a way and but but there's so one of the things you need to do though you also you know if if you've got production databases this are, that are this large um spend some time getting better than you are today you know just a little better each day will will do the trick. Mm -hmm. Spend some time getting better at performance testing or integrating performance testing into your QA cycles and your test cycles. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that's going to happen, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say, look, uh, my threshold's 5,000. If it's bigger than that, if it's production, throw an alert. Otherwise, you throw a, a 500 error. Um, and then it that code gets to the QA environment and there's only some test data in there. There aren't even 5,000 rows in the table. Mm -hmm. It's never going to trigger. You're never going to see it. A, a different way to look at it would be on every query, look for a where or or an on in the case of a, a filter join. And if you don't see one, do the thing, right? Because right. that's going to catch it no matter the record size. It's just going to say, look, this query looks unfiltered. You should go do something, no, even in development. I know like developing in Rails, um, yeah, you can have 400, 500 pages. You can do all that stuff, but the Rails console will barf any error it that it comes across yeah. in development mode. But like just having mode set to development, you will get full take of anything right. it sees that it looks wrong. Um, and so, that, but like, I don't know, inspecting the query text of everything that hits your database and like, I don't, that performance wise, that sounds like that could be fraught unless you suspect you have a problem. Well, yeah, um, I don't think you necessarily need to inspect for early everything. cycles, for early development cycles, you know, or even later stage QA. Look, just inspect every query. If it doesn't have where on, throw an, throw an alert. I'd rather know. And then when you're actually getting ready to go live, you flip that logic to like a result set count, you know, and, and doing mm -hmm. the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no there's no one rule to these things, and and it and it does apply in layers. You know, at, at my database at my database level, you know, if my app is requesting what I as the database believe to be an obscene amount of data, you know, th throw it up there. Yeah, you know, yeah. and you that's can good do, though. I mean, you're you you're exposing QA flags for for even the database, you, you, so you can make the database yeah. die. You can make the whole thing die, which should bubble up. I mean, will bubble up one way or the other if, if the database says yeah. no, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're exposing my, uh, maybe my my bias here because I I never really worked with a team that had like pretty error handling outside of prod. Mm -hmm. um, but assuming that's something that people are doing, yeah, that's not normal. No, I don't think they're normal. doing pretty error handling outside. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I pulled I pulled that one off the off the top of my head. Uh, it's, it's more about making sure that, the, I, I think you did a, I think you took my idea and and consolidated it pretty pretty far down. Outside of anyone other than the client, if they're investigating an error, should see stack traces. It should just blow up. That's what they should see. They should not see pretty yeah. errors. They should not see recovery. You need to you need to have that stuff in place and you need to test it and that kind of stuff. But even if you're di if you're diagnosing a problem, I'll go so far to say if you're diagnosing a problem in production, 
and you are a dev, it would actually be really useful if you could even hook error handling to user ID or is admin flags or something like that. So that so that oh instead gosh. of getting graceful error handling as you know, okay, I'm going into my prod system. I'm logging into you know my account as a developer. It's flagged is dev equals one. And so now in my conditional for my graceful error handling, if is dev stack trace blow up else yeah. do graceful stuff. That's, that's even I tell that you, that's would be helpful. That's one real, that's one real like operator convenience of oh, yeah. uh, scripting languages for web as opposed to compiled binaries. So you do like a .NET or a Java, you run into this problem where you really can't do the thing where you take a single immutable binary artifact and promote that from local test all the way to production if it clears mm -hmm. because outside of prod, you want hyper verbose logging. You want uh, everything on, you know, in production, you want a nice tight optimized binary with a loop unrolling and and mm -hmm. symbols stripped out mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's a different binary. Whereas like I've done this before with, with, um, with like scripted web apps. Uh, okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to go to server, let's say three servers that are load balanced. I'm going to take number three out of the load balancer. And then I'm going to log into that server and I'm going to add the if client ID equals X and do Y and I'm going to add breakpoints and I'm going to attach myself to that. And then I'm going to use Etsy host file or DNS or whatever other trickery. I'm going to synthetically send transactions to that endpoint to trigger this so that I can inspect it real time. You don't really have that option. Uh, right. It's 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 not anywhere near that easy uh, when you're dealing with a with a compiled language. Um and that's a that's a that's a benefit. Like I've missed that at times, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the on the compiled side of the world, for yeah. sure. Well, I mean, is there? It would not be possible to change your 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 error handling. Like I'm talking about a conditional that could live inside of the binary, unless I'm misunderstanding. Unless we're talking past each other. So you other. could there there could be a bunch of stuff that you could hide, like in a .NET project. Like you could hide a config, you could put a config variable in like a web.config, okay. and flip the bit and restart the server, and then get more logging. What you can't do is debug that process because the binary itself doesn't have the symbols. Like when you when you compile like a like a C or a Java or a C sharp kind of like a binary uh, mm -hmm. for for production for production, you set optimization flags when you f when you compile it for like a development or or a test system, you don't just not compile it with the optimization flags, but you do compile it with extra debug flags. Mm -hmm. um, which add what are called debugging symbols into the binary. So you actually inflate the output with a bunch of metadata so that when you attach a debugger to that live process, you can step through with function and variable names as they as the source code had them and not these uh, you know contrived pseudo random garbage that the compiler outputs by default. Oh, okay. Um, All right. I so, see I see so what you're I, I I misunderstood. So in production, like it would it would be bad practice to send an artifact to production with debug flags enabled because mm -hmm. that not only bloats the binary, which has a potential performance implication unless sure. you're running yeah. at like ridiculous scale. I don't think that's a practical concern. Um, but it could also be a security concern then because if if a stack trace does leak through uh, or if there is a compromise, like there's value there potentially valuable information that you don't want in your DMZ hidden in that binary. Gotcha. Um, okay. Logging. So, sure. You could control for extra logging with a flag though, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, my, my default posture, as you know, is, is, uh, interpreted languages. This is where my, my, yeah. my bread and butter has always been, but okay. So you, you went in an area, a way that I, I actually was thinking, you know, regardless compiled versus interpreted, you could still shove an if else in there and do, you know, capture, you know, whatever you've, you've got at that point. Yeah, put, you know, uh, where you good old fashioned puts debugging. Yeah, I mean, you could do, <laughs> you could do some basic stuff like that. And if it's, if it's attached puts to- Puts debugging in prod, there's our yeah. episode title. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, and it's not as good as what you'll get in an interpreted language e ecosystem, but it's better than nothing. And it still gets you around the, the, the graceful handling stuff. Um, 
So it so if you can't do a stack trace in prod for that kind of conditional, do something, you know, spit out yeah. what you can, what you know, you know, in a, in a lightweight kind of fashion. Um, that, that would be, and all the major frameworks will handle that. Like, like in log or whatever, you can just set the verbosity on the fly and it it embeds that, that kind of if else logic with the logging, that's just the log level that, that comes in and that's compiled or, or otherwise. Yeah. Um, But I'm talking about spitting it out on the screen in, in sort of real time. If, if a, for a developer who is actually actively, I'm talking about actively working an issue that you see in prod and assuming that you don't have a proper staging environment, even, you know, I think if you were. Yeah, if, should, if, like if you don't. couldn't, yeah, if you couldn't get a handle on it, and you're in prod, and you don't have a fix, and you need diagnostics, and you can't repro in QA or something, like if you're getting to the what point you where you're with putting together app, like you're you're putting together, you're deploying new application changes to support production debugging. You're like, I feel bad for you, son. Like I legitimately <laughs> feel bad. Sometimes I, I I will okay, so I will caveat this that. I mean, yes, all of that is true, but there's, there's, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, being, you know, going right to the, to the heart of the matter and, you know, being able to, you know, try and work with, work with the issue directly, maybe not fix it, but diagnosing it. The problem is here. And so here is where I want to look, not over here in this lab. I I mean, yes, I could do that, but if I can look at it right here, and do that in a non-destructive way and and yeah. you know, gather intel, you know, this is, I, I, I know I'm, I'm probably the weirdo on this stuff. You know, you absolutely should do it in a, you should do it in staging and your staging should match your, your prod. But no, I mean, like, close, look, like, but it never, it but never like works race, that way. There's always this difference between you know, the, the, the ideal versus the reality. And that's, that's kind of like, like race. Here. Raise your hand if you've never had an issue only in production. Right. I, I, there's there's no hands in there's the no air, hands right? Up. Everybody's there had no an issue. Yeah, correct. Where it's exactly. production is the only place it happens and like And I, I and I've I, tested it in staging six times with the you know with the data and I still can't get it to reproduce and yet it's happening in production. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's never happened. Yeah. I'm the only one that that's ever happened to. Exactly. Right, that's, right, right. That's what I mean, so that's what I'm getting at. You know, you just you know, ju- just the, just the realism, uh, the, the, the reality versus, you know, the, the ideal, but yes, I mean, a staging environment, ideally that has your, that has your production data, but sometimes you don't even have that depending on how sensitive your app is and the kind of data that you have. Sometimes your staging is, is just bogus data or scrubbed data, both of which introduce well, that's, the possibility that it, you won't be able to reproduce it because the data is funny. Either you get errors that won't actually exist in production Correct. or you don't get errors that would be there. You and get my false point positives and false specific, negatives. Yep. Specific to the performance issues is just to make sure that your QA environment is sized like your prod environment. Yeah. Um, so that if there are unfiltered queries being, a, I, I've like I said, I've dealt with more of those in the past year than I I'd probably should admit. Well, but, hypothetically. Um, Hypothetically, you don't. My for friend, friend. For your friend. My, my hypothetical your, friend. Your hypothetical friend. Well, he wasn't hypothetical. Wait, hold on with, a second. The friend wasn't was, hypothetical. The situation was- No, the friend asked, asked me the, the hypothetical. Asked, right, right. The friend posed me the hypothetical, posed you which I am now discussing with you. That's right. The, yes. The, the aforementioned- yes. Hypothetical totally real, by proxy. Unnamed friend. Yeah, by proxy. Right, exactly. Yeah. Totally real friend. Totally real. With a made up problem. 100% yes. real thing. Definitely. That's happen. what we do here on Ref. That's what we do here on Refact. Totally. Okay. So I want to do, um, <laughs> we've got a few minutes left here. Um, I know that we, we have talked about this before. I want to, something a little, a little new, a little fun. So um, we have, uh, you and I have debated, I think we've done it offline. We've debated about um, acronyms and whether or not we should actually, you know, how much we should actually be spelling out for our audience, you know, mm-hmm. like should, should we assume a certain base level of knowledge? And so uh, I have given this some thought and and I have come to the conclusion that no, you should not assume anything because even if the person is very smart, we have a lot of acronyms and a lot of stuff that happens in our space and it's impossible for anyone to to keep up with. I am guilt I, I find myself on the on the short end of this stick all the time. Hey, what is that? I've never heard that term. what is what is that what does that mean? Um, and so, uh, what I have started doing even in presentations, and this actually came from, 
uh, from business conversations about, you know, technical presentations. Never assume mm-hmm. that they know the acronyms. You can put the acronym in there, but it should be preceded or proceeded by the term that the acronym represents. And so you establish this baseline. Okay, here's the phrase. Here's the acronym. I'm going to use the acronym the rest of the time, but here's what it means. So everyone is on the same page. And so you, nobody feels um, left in the dark on it, uh, you know, it, uh, accidentally or otherwise. Okay. So, um, so I wanted to, so I, I was thinking, hmm, I bet we could come up with a sounder for this. <laughs> So that when we oh, have God. when we have acronyms, when we what have a acronyms. shaggy dog tail, that was a long road to hoe. Just <laughs> no, oh no, this is good. And we actually had a couple today, so I'm going to toss it in there. So when we have acronyms, we will either precede or proceed the section with those acronyms with a little hey phrasing. And then proceed to Oh, we got phrasing. Yes. Okay. All right. I was salty on this initiative, but now that I've heard the fruits of the labor, I'm all in. Now, if, if, now that's if we're being like, I think that's us flailing out. Okay. So that's our flailing. We did really bad with our acronyms. Okay. If we just want to. John Benjamin, like his voice, he could sell me on getting scalped. I'm serious. Like his, I I mean, his delivery. And I mean, God absolutely slapped that dude's vocal cords with a funny bone, you know? It he really just, did. It doesn't matter what he says. He does. Do you know he did Arby's commercials for a little bit? And he was actually in person. I didn't yeah. even know what he looked like until I saw the commercial, but he was actually in the commercial. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's what the funniest sounding voice, that's what the human attached to the funniest sounding voice looks like. That's so interesting. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter what he says. It is the funniest version yeah. of that thing ever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the one. Hey, phrasing. If we're kind of bad about it, okay? I, we I can like call it. Us, we can call I ourselves like it. Now, if we're just kind of dropping them in there as we go, we can, we have a little more subtle. Uh, phrasing. And we're just kind of like, you know, like smoothly right. just, you know, drop Levels of phrasing. So yeah. there we go. We've got levels of phrasing. Now, today, <laughs> we've got a little bit of- Hey, phrasing. I think, because uh, we-, we one, we weren't doing this before, and so you know, I, right? We're, we're yeah. working ourselves out. So I, th- I get it. You got you got new buttons on the soundboard. You the, just want to click so them as many, many times. Buttons, so many buttons. So yeah, you yeah. just got to push them. That's right. So that's um, fine. So today uh, we uh, SPA for single page app, single page application, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the front end of the application being a JavaScript based dynamic setup. Um, again, go to hotwire.dev, check that out, and save yourself a ton of double writing your apps. Um, and then the other one that I caught us with was RTFM, which means read the effing manual. So you should always read the effing manual first before you go posting questions on Stack Overflow. I kind of laugh at the memes that talk about how mean Stack Overflow is, when in reality, most of the time, the reason that it's mean is the answer is obvious and out there if you took three seconds to search around for it rather than asking this big community. Uh, about it, yeah, so, yeah. Read the manual. I think a lot of the a lot of the shade there is warranted. I think some of generally it. some of the shade now, is warranted. Going back to when did Stack Overflow debut? Was that like two thousand five or something? I'll look. Like, it up. it's been a long. It's time. been a long time. Long time. Re- really good. Um, anyway, going back to the early days, like Stack Overflow was one of the more friendly places on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand eight. Okay, all right, a little bit early. And are you getting paid by Basecamp? Because no, you've why? really like you you you're really excited about Hotwire. Uh, no, I mean I mean I, it that's, sounds like we're running a commercial here. I mean I'm excited about it because it is it is the solution to this problem that has all this has always dogged me the the notion that with single page apps the reason yeah. that I I always fought it was because. Yeah. You end up writing the app twice. You, you you have the logic, the business logic on the back end, and then you have this. You have very very similar business logic on the front end, and you're just passing the data between the two of them using a JSON format. It's it it just drove me nuts. And so no, I wouldn't say that this is an ad for for Basecamp. It's more an ad for Hotwire, which is built by the Rails team, which is predominantly run by the Basecamp folks, which comes from 37 signals and blah, 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 blah. But no, right. what, what I said was, are you being paid by Basecamp oh, to I promote wish. this new product? I would yeah. love that. 
Basecamp. Yeah. Hey, uh, DHH, yeah. if you're listening, come on over. And I, I think I think there is the hell like, out of hot wire for you. I, I the the pain there the pain there is real, right? Because there oh, are, there are a lot of it's cases of where. Um, but this is why things like Meteor came about. I don't know. Is that still a thing? Meteor is still around. Is that still yeah. being? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's. It, I think it never answer, really. It never got mainstream adoption. But I mean, really, what we're at now is I, I would say we're at the third generation of SPAs. You know, you had well fourth, depending on how you count it. I know that this is not an official thing. This is just me riffing. Uh, you know, early on, you had simple Ajax, and I did raw Ajax. I actually, you know, actually hand wrote hand rolled that crap. And um, then jQuery came along and whew, that made things a lot. So did better. you have to do, you have to do that with punch cards or it like was, exactly how much? Uh, it was, it was actually, carrier no, it was pigeons. super, it was carrier, yeah, carrier pigeons. pigeons. That day. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. One. Mm-hmm. Now it was a nice upgrade when the pigeons, when we got 16 bit pigeons instead mm-hmm. of the old eight bit pit. I mean, yeah, so many birds. Well, I mean, right? when we upgraded to African swallows as opposed to the European <laughs> swallows, they go faster. <laughs> they go faster. <laughs> Um, no. So I did. Oh my I, god! Do you remember manually manipulating those XHR request yes. objects? It was yes, so I do. It was awful. painful. Oh, oh, they were, oh my forget god. forget manipulating the object. Just writing the request. Just getting now the I'm structure here. of the thing and here to I am. run. And here I am spending an hour complaining that a framework automatically generates <laughs> queries for me that I didn't ask for, right? Like how privileged are we? we like have, how far we have come? We have come a long way, <laughs> but the reason, but the reason that I'm so heavy in the, I'm, I'm, I'm so bullish on Hotwire is because- Yeah, but the, the answer single- here, so I'm going to humbly submit the answer here is not putting JavaScript in your back end. It's getting it out of the friggin' front end. Yes, I like, agree. JavaScript sucks. And we, no, yes, I, but I know how I, we, I think you, I think we you talked did a whole about thing it on, on the it. show. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to yeah. actually, uh, we don't need to rehash it. You know, it actually, it, it does exactly that. That's it. Yeah. And, and yes, the notion, it, oh my gosh, Node.js, my gosh. Hey, JavaScript is a front end language. Why don't we use it for the back end? No, who, here's okay. Who who thought this I'm was gonna a good take, idea? I'm gonna take the heat off you because I'm gonna piss off fans of JavaScript and Jeeps right now. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you want a terrible return on investment, total cost of ownership, and maintenance nightmare for the life of your vehicle, you go ahead and buy yourself a Jeep. These are garbage vehicles unless you actually use them for off-roading. Like the Wrangler for <laughs> off-roading, if that's your hobby. It's a good truck to have. It's mm-hmm. built for that. It's made for it. And it's one of the best at it. Here's the problem. 99% of Wranglers that are sold are bought by people who just cruise down the highway to Walmart every week or to work and back and don't use it for its intended purpose. And so they incur taxes at every conceivable step of their journey with that vehicle. They needn't pay if they had bought something optimized for their use case. And no JS is no different. It is friggin' terrible as a general purpose <laughs> platform. The one problem it actually solves well is if you have high uh, high volume, highly async communications with low latency needs, it's actually good for that. But 99% of the idiots that deploy it into production don't have that problem. And so we incur taxes on everything else we do for the life cycle of the application because we made one poor choice up front because something seemed cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I- that, people, is what grinds my gears. Um, so anyway- <laughs> Like, uh, you know, if you've got one of those highly async, like Node's the right choice, no, you know, hands down. But for your run-of-the-mill business application, for your startup idea, don't, don't, please don't pay the tax. Don't put JavaScript in your backend. It's not worth it, man. It's not, I'd rather you go, I'd rather you go and take this shills advice and use Hotwire and try to extricate yourself from it altogether than to, than to get yourself into (laughs) Node or Meteor or one of these garbage. Come on, man. I mean, the, Come the, the, on. the reason, the reason that it, it, the reason that we've moved in this direction is we're, and, and this is why I'm so bullish on Hotwire. You know, we, we, we solved one problem with an, and introduced another problem. And now we're trying to solve for the introduced problem. And we have sort of lost sight of the original problem. Hotwire you know, went the other way and said, Hotwire look, actually just solves the root problem without actually just incurring. don't write your own JavaScript in the first all, place. Exactly. Just write your application. Just write and, your yeah, app. And I think that's, that's yeah. The and I think that's a mature that's why way I, to do it. Yeah. That's why I like it. Everything yeah. else goes, Hey, JavaScript, single page app. We've got the, you know, 
oh, now we got to yeah. you know optimize for this. No, no, let's go back to the root and let, let's actually get rid of the problem. So that's that's why I that's why I'm uh you know really, Which really we're gonna get we're gonna get lambast now. We took an opinion there. Oh, we're I gonna know. we're gonna pay for it. I know, and in, in some not so subtle ways. Yeah, yeah. You know the <laughs> that's all right. I, before before you get started though, that you uh, we didn't talk about. I'm not much of a space nerd, but you you mentioned the. The, uh, the 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 lander crash, the difference between meters and feet, mm-hmm. and that's is that true? Is that what actually happened? Is that how it actually yeah. crashed? Yeah, yeah. I American and European space uh, space agency partnership, and and there were different parts of the software being put together by different teams, and they were using meters, and we were using feet, and then there was a conversion error on on reentry calculations, Jeez. and the thing just smashed into the surface of the planet. Oh my gosh. That's legitimately what happened. I cannot like, believe so then, that. I mean, I can. So actually. then it's like, first of all, software fail. And mm. second of all, why the heck is the U.S. not using metric fail? Like those <laughs> oh, two. You want to talk about pissing people off? <laughs> oh my gosh, all kinds of stances. Today. I'm on a roll. Look, You're- I'm all in. Why not go all in at this point? I've got the JavaScript people. I've got the Jeep people. Now I'm going to get the Imperial System people all on me. All right. Now, why don't you tell them where Isn't to find a, us so that they can yell at there's us? There's a family. Yeah. There's, if you want to yell at us, so, so feedback at refactor.work, you can send us an email or a voice record on your phone. Uh, we'll play that on the show. Um, or if you want to do the family guy thing where he's like, oh, you know, uh, Mets suck, Yankees suck, uh, Knicks suck, you know, in, in, yes. <laughs> in standing Krypton in the sucks. bar. <laughs> yeah. Krypton sucks. That's the, I couldn't think of the, how he ended it. <laughs> Get suck, Yankee suck, Nick suck. Krypton sucks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but refactor.work, you hit that up in your browser, you can find our show notes, archives, old shows, a little about us, book recommendations, the whole spiel. Um, this has, uh, oh, uh, I've got some more information online published at Tonkinson.com, and, and Frank's got his blog over at hotcoles.com. That's K-O-E-H-L-S.com. And uh, this has been episode 54 of the Refactored Podcast for January 18th, 2022. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Chris. And that, people, is what grinds my gears.